You'll want to find in just a moment my text for this evening's sermon. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. I, w- I couldn't thank you enough for, for this day, for your greeting, your spirit, your attitude. Thank you, musicians. Thank you for those that serve the Lord uh, in the music. I, I appreciate it all. And Travis, I knew every one of those songs. As a matter of fact, I, I didn't need a hymnal. I knew every one of them. Thank you so much. And I want to say another word. Thank God for these young people sitting over here. Uh, you, ought to, you ought to be so proud of them. And you ought to let them know somehow without embarrassing them, all right? Thank you, parents, for encouraging them to be here or bringing them here. And I want to thank them for being here. I wasted all of my teenage years serving the devil. And I'm going to tell you, I thank God for young people that are in church. Those wasted years, there was an old song, Wasted Years. And I tell you, I had them. And don't have them. Live for Jesus. Make memories built around the Lord Jesus Christ and the church and the saints of God. Amen? And do everything you can to encourage them, invest in them, and thank them for being a part. That, that is an ornament to your church for those young people to sit up close like that and be a part of this time. And I'll hush. I, I love the young folks. Uh, I started out as a youth pastor uh, <clears throat> and I did music and youth. Some of you will remember there were those days when it looked like every church had a pastor and a music and youth man. And I was a music and youth man when I started out. And God was so good and blessed us in many ways. Uh, thank you for letting us be here. I d- did have a good visit with Mike. Um, and I, um, I sure love your pastor. I've never met Miss Pat. And I don't even know what to say except I've, I've been in prayer with you for her. And, and I just pray uh, uh, that God would be glorified in, in all things. And I just sense in my soul uh, he will, both by that family and this church. Um, there is, it's a great mark also. I talk about the, this youth group being an ornament to you. I tell you, it is a great mark when, you, when it's known that a church loves its pastor. I'm going to tell you, you I'm just... It's, it means so much. You love your pastor and love this family in this time. Well, I want to turn you to a passage. Of, I'll admit to you, I, as I prayed and thought about the, the evening, of course, I preached more. I don't know what you'd call the type message I preached this morning. Maybe it was a salvation message. Maybe it was, it was about the Savior. Maybe it was a Christmas message about what the angels said. But as I prayed and I looked at several things, I said, you know, I I really want to be an encouragement uh, to Hillcrest Baptist Church. I I, I do. I I want to know that as I leave after this last sermon I have, that that I was able to say a word to you about these days as as you were in transition, you're searching for a pastor. Uh, I want to, (laughs) I got so much I want to say. Can I say to you, don't grow weary in well-doing. you wait on God's will and his man to pastor this church and just trust in the Lord uh, to connect with someone that wants to connect with what you're doing. Don't be afraid of who they are, where they're from. Don't be afraid of their age. You might have to get a young preacher. You know, that, that'd kill some of you, wouldn't it? Uh, uh, you know, it doesn't, care if, it doesn't matter if he's got gray hair or whiskers uh, yet. Just somebody that believes the word of God and loves what you're doing. And, uh, and I want to encourage you tonight as a church, as you wait on the Lord uh, and continue to believe there's great hope. As a matter of fact, the title of my sermon is this, 
hope for the church in the last days. See, I do believe we're living in the last days. I know you've heard that before. I'm confident that Jesus is coming again. And uh, uh, I do believe these are the last days. I just believe God's got to do something with this world uh, before it does itself in. Don't, I, it's, it's just in such horrible shape. But, uh, but there's hope for the church. God's, God's economy, God's work, God's purposes are wrapped up in the church. And you're the church. So remember that. So stand with me. Let's read this passage. You found it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. This is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture. And, and from this point, it's probably one of the easiest outlined passages in the Bible. Preachers like easy outlines, you know. Uh, it's, very, it's just so direct and so easily outlined. But let me read it to you from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye there sober and watch under prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity. You know that's the word love, agape. Have fervent love, charity among yourselves. For charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Is every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Father, Peter's already given us an amen. We move to another one by saying, guide us in these moments. We ask you to come among us and teach us from the word. Um, Father, um, I, I, I thank you that you let me be a preacher and that I could be a in that role tonight with these wonderful folks. Uh, but Father, I will thank you most of all if you preach to the people. If the Holy Spirit preaches, speaks into the ears, into the hearts, into the lives of these people. Uh, strengthen this church. Take them on the greatest adventures that they've ever been on. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. What does Peter mean? By the end of all things is near. Some would suggest to you that he means that their troubles are near. But I, uh, the end of their troubles are near. But I am convinced he's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The theme of 1 Peter is hope. Uh, and he hopes for better things to come. A better world. Um, this is not all there is. And I'm telling you, that old hospital room with all of that equipment and all of that pain and all that's going on for Miss Pat, that's not all there is, folks. It's part of this world, but there is another world to come because Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. I had two funerals this week and I'm retired. Don't retire, you'll go to work. Had two funerals. And often I'll stand in some of these finer cemeteries 
And I appreciate it when they keep them well and the people come out and adorn the graves with flowers and whatnot and, and everybody kind of treats the areas nicely and they're beautiful. Many of them are in great settings and whatnot. And I'll pause for a moment and I'll look at the people and I'll say this. The stage is set. Right here in the soon coming days, the most colossal dramatic event to happen in human history is coming to this earth. Jesus is going to appear in the sky and those who have fallen asleep in Christ are going to burst out of these graves. He says, well, we don't know what spot's out here. We hope we're in one of those spots if we're dead. But these graves are going to burst open. Those who are asleep in Christ are going to rise first and those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up in the air together to meet them in the air and so shall we ever be be with the Lord. Jesus is coming again. You say, preacher, we've heard that sermon so many times. You Baptist preachers keep talking about Jesus coming again. I'm weary. It says, I'm weary and you're paranoid. You know, what makes you believe that? Because the Bible says it and because Jesus built his going away all around it. I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. Jesus is coming again. There are those that think uh, that mankind's going to destroy this world with all the things we do and whatnot. And can I say something to you? I believe we are stewards of this earth. If you, if you tra- trash God's creation just because you want to trash it, you're wrong. You're unchristian. I, I believe in taking care of the environment. Christian. If you want to recycle, have at it. Stand in line and do it all day. If you want to gri- drive a car that's, uh, I don't know what they are. Uh, what did someone say? Whatever. What, what, the one that doesn't blow so much smoke out, okay? If you, you want to, I, I'm a, I think it's great. I think we ought to be good stewards of the environment. But there's something beyond that. You want to tell you what's beyond that? The arrogance of sinful man that believes we are the ones in charge of destroying this world. It's God that will one day destroy this world. It is the arrogance of sinful man that says that it is not in our power, neither is it our prerogative to destroy this earth. One day God will do it with fire. He's coming again. He is. Believe that. But the church has so much to do and to be. I I have not sensed one bit from this congregation. And I knew the faithful folks would be here tonight. At least I figured it was the faithful bunch that came on Sunday night. Uh, You'd say, preacher, why didn't you preach this one on Sunday morning? Because you're you're the ones to keep the fire going. The faithful, the faithful, those that are at the core. I've not heard one person Or have I seen one person exhibit any lack of hope that God has great things for this church? But I want to just remind you how to keep the hope going till Jesus comes again. Till God does something in our midst we hadn't seen. How how do we maintain the hope? That's this passage. The end of all things is near, therefore, and here we go. If you want to keep the hope and the fires burning in this church, you better be, number one, a praying church. A praying church. The Bible says in verse 7, by the end of all things at hand, 
Be you therefore sober and watch unto prayer. You can't read much of this book without reading about prayer. You can't study the history of great men, women, and movements of God without studying about prayer. You can't follow the steps of Jesus through Scripture until you soon you find him on his knees, himself crying out to the Father or teaching his disciples how to pray our Father which art in heaven. We must purpose in our hearts to pray, in our hearts, in our minds. Folks, Someone might suggest, you know, it's just natural to pray. When I'm driving down the road, I pray. When I get up in the morning, I pray. When I lay my head down at night, I pray. And you know what? I'm glad you've got a sense you, that you recognize you're thankful in all circumstances and situations. You're mindful and you pray without ceasing. Everything that that means. But in this right here, Peter says, listen, we need to watch under prayer. We need to concentrate it. We need to give ourselves over it. Where it says to watch under prayer, that means to be clear-minded. I want to say something to you. I, I preached a sermon in Wood, I'm sorry, Northside Baptist Church just not long before I retired, left. And I said, I've got a very personal sermon today. I said, I'm going to tell you Ken's three greatest sins. Hey, how about, do you ever often do that? Just list them for folks? I'll tell you, I'm, my three greatest sins, that was my sermon. And you know what they were? I said, these are my three greatest sins. Piddling. Do you know what piddling is? Do any of you just find yourself just piddling? Procrastination. I'll do it tomorrow. That's my th- second greatest sin. Third was prayerlessness. I don't pray enough. And I know it. Prayerlessness. And can I say something to you? The great sin of prayerlessness, the great culprit is the demon of distraction. In other words, Satan will always give you something else to do or think about but pray. You know, I have found that most Christians who neglect, neglect prayer, not because of unbelief. No, they believe in prayer. Who doesn't believe in prayer? Just get them in trouble, they'll believe in it. You know, it's not unbelief. And, and I don't believe that the greatest hindrance to prayer is carnality, though it can be. In other words, I've got such sin in my life, I can't pray. pray. If I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. I understand. But that's not usually the biggest reason people neglect prayer. And it's definitely not the lack of desire, though it could be. But it's distractions. Distractions. How many of you have been at your bedside? Oh, I've just read scripture. I'm ready to pray. And it doesn't take 10 seconds till you're somewhere out in the fields at work, somewhere else thinking about a bill you got to pay or, so, or somebody that's upset you, anything. And you're sitting and saying, you know what? I was here to pray. And Satan distracts you. You remember the gathering demoniac had a legion of demons and Jesus cast them into the, the pig farm and they went over the cliff and whatnot. 
after he was healed and delivered from the devil. It says he was sitting at Jesus' feet, and there's a phrase they used, in his right mind. He was focused. His mind was right. He wasn't distracted anymore. He was focused on Jesus. Not only clear-minded, but, but sober, self-controlled. You know what sober is. Do we, we don't need a quick edu- education in here. You know the difference between sober and drunk, don't you? Any, nobody in here? You got a mighty sanctified congregation. <laughs> sober, it means something else is not in control of my thoughts, my body, my life. Sober. Nothing is in control of my mind. And understand this. Bad things can take control of your mind. Good things can take control of your mind. You can be drunk on good things. God can be so good to you, you're you're just drunk on the blessings that you can't pray. We must purpose to pray. We must understand that the purpose of prayer is to prepare us for what is ahead. And I know this because we're in 1 Peter. We're thinking about Peter who was there on the night before my Lord Jesus Christ died. And when they were there in the garden and Jesus begged those guys, the four closest, the three closest to him, he said, stay here and pray, pray. And they didn't. They kept falling asleep. They kept, I don't know if you ever put this together. Peter, James, and John, they kept falling asleep. He said, uh, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, and the, weak, and the flesh won. And Peter lost. They fell asleep. He said, sleep on, sleep on. What's the next major story in the Bible about Peter? After that, I know somebody say, well, Brother Ken, I guess when the, the soldiers came and he cut off the guy's ear, that was bold and brave, it was. But that's a pretty significant story. But I'm going to tell you the story that sticks out in my mind is Peter denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Three times. I want to I ask you something. If I held a gun to your head and I said, I want you to de- deny Jesus Christ, I dare say among the greatly committed, pretty much committed, maybe most professing Christians in this congregation tonight, you'd say, Brother Ken, I could not imagine ever saying, I deny Jesus But the man who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved denied him three times. And you know why? Because he forgot to pray. He wasn't focused. He didn't spend time preparing himself. Folks, there's nothing you'll face tonight, tomorrow, in the future. If you don't get up, if you'll get on your knees, pour out your heart to God and say, prepare me. That's the reason. How did Jesus close out what we call the Lord's Prayer? Deliver me, deliver us from the evil one. Some of you pray that prayer every night before you go to sleep. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be you get to and deliver us from the evil one. Uh, what's going to happen? Once you go to sleep, but the devil going to keep give you, give you nightmares? They, but in the morning, going through the journey on life, God, prepare me. Keep the devil off my back. Prepare me and get focused on him. Church, we need to pray. Do you believe this church could come under attack? If it does, it's going to be by the devil. The world may come, but the devil. 
Prepare yourselves. Pray. I quoted one of my favorite preachers this morning. I'm going to use his name again. Adrian Rogers said, I have found whatever's wrong in my spiritual life is essentially wrong in my prayer life. If you want to have hope, you better be a praying church. Number two, we better be a loving church. Verse 8 says, and above all things, have fervent. Can I call that, that word charity? It's agape in the Greek. You know what it is? It's the word love. The King James uh, used that special little word charity. But above all things, have fervent love among yourselves. For love shall cover the multitude of sins. Above all. Does that mean we've arrived if, if we love people? I don't know. He was saying the greatest thing in the world is love. even though it is great because God is love. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love. It's a sign that you're saved, that that you love. But, But whatever Peter's saying, he says, at this point, while we're talking about maintaining our hope and getting ready for the second coming of Christ, there's something of supreme importance I want to talk to you about, and that's love. You remember when Jesus met with the disciples by the seaside after he had risen from the dead and he was there and they were there at the fishing time and whatnot and Jesus was reassuring Peter and giving him that special calling. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Over and over again. Just beat him up with it. Love, Peter. Love me and love others. He says in this passage of Scripture, he says, above all things have fervent love among yourselves. Fervent love, deep love. Can I, now I want you to be honest with me for a moment. Uh, some folks, it's just not easy to love them. They didn't get a lot of hate men. We'll take a deep breath. Some people aren't easy to love. It's truth. I had a stepfather. He's somewhere, he's out of this world now. I don't know where he went, but uh, uh, he passed away. Uh, he was one of the most wicked men I think I've ever known. I married my mother. Liar. Uh, abusive. Uh, I hated him. I hated him while I was a Christian, after I got saved. And I just began to get so convicted. God, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. So I had to get focused. I had to pray. And you know, I prayed and asked God the Holy Spirit to do a work in my life where I could genuinely say in a God sense, in a spiritual sense, that I love them. And you know what? I got there. I got there. I can't tell you. But you don't just say, you don't just love the lovely and you just don't love when it's easy. You you know, you got to be focused. You got to love. And you know, that's what a church needs. There may be somebody even here tonight Maybe, maybe especially on a Sunday morning. Somebody you know that attends here. You, it's not easy for you to love them. But you know what would be great during this interim period and whatnot? He said, you know what? I feel the call of God on my life. I'm going to love them. I'm, I'm going to get it right. I'm going to get close. I'm going to love them. I was a young preacher I got saved and just spent a few years till God called me to preach, and I didn't know much. Uh, 
Uh, I saved in another denomination, and then I ended up in the Baptist church, and I not just just didn't kind of land there. It was out of conviction and whatnot, and, and I knew God was calling me to preach, and my pastor, some of you may remember Bob Mallory at Park Avenue Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, was my pastor, great, dear brother, and so kind to me, and he encouraged me and counseled me, and, and so I eventually finished up college, and I went off to seminary. I'd spent my first year in seminary. I told you I was minister of music and youth in a church in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, folks, this was in the late 70s. In late 70s, busing had just, it, it just torn the city of Memphis apart. It, for what, whatever you, it just had. I mean, uh, white flight and all this stuff. Everybody was just cockeyed and out of sorts and whatnot. And uh, it was just, it's just the way it happened. And I went into this little church in Memphis, Tennessee. I had about 14 kids in, in the youth group, and they went to about 12 different schools. I mean, they'd go over to this school, go over to this school, go over to this school. And I, you know, it just beat me up, worried me to death. Uh, and they didn't respond to me. Here I was, I just called the ministry, and I was also trying to do music. And uh, I went home at Christmas time. And Dinah's family asked, well, how are things in the ministry? And I began to gripe. I lit into those teenagers how unresponsive they were, how unappreciative they were, how, how they, they just didn't take to me. And, and all the planning and all the work and all the effort I put in, it says, and they just didn't respond. And then Diana's sister, her sister, my in-law, sitting over in the corner about how much younger she may, give me six years younger than me, um, sitting over there, probably still in high school or at the time, just real simply with nothing else said, well, Ken, you got to love them. I thought, you cocky high school girl. I'm the called man of God here. What are you telling me how to do ministry? The Holy Ghost ripped through my soul and made me realize I love to preach. I love to sing. I love to teach. I kind of love ministry, but I didn't love people. I wanted them to love what I was doing. And who I was. You know, uh, when God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, he let him, know, let him know, I'm calling you because I love Israel. He wasn't impressed with Moses. Moses wasn't impressed with Moses. He says, I'm calling you because I'm going to say, I'm going to let, you're going to go to you're going to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. It's my people that I love. It's my people you're going to serve. He said, love them. Folks, let me tell you, love isn't always easy. Love can be hard, but we love because God has called us to love one another. And I challenge you in this church, find someone. Find someone to love that you haven't loved. Um, if you want a spiritual experience, if you want something to just rush through your soul, you find somebody unlovely or unlovable and you start to love them and see the change in their life and in yours. This is, hey, I'm sorry, folks, this is just preach. If you don't like it, you can leave. They've already paid me. (laughs) 
Love. Love. And you know what he says? Love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Does that mean if I love you real good, God's going to forgive a lot of my sins? That's not what it's talking about at all. It's saying when you truly love somebody, it'll cover a, a multitude of their sins. You'll, you'll learn to accept their personalities, their failures, and their weaknesses. You know what I call that? Grandparent love. <laughs> Grandparent love covers a multitude of sins. Amen. <laughs> it covers a multitude of sins. And that's what the church is supposed to have Amen. for one another in the church. Amen. That grandparent love, hey, I, I love you, I accept you. I want God's best for you. I got to leave this point. If we want hope for our church. We better be a friendly church. Amen. Friendly church. I like, you're friendly. You know you're pretty much on the first impression. You're a friendly church. Thank you for that. I just, I hate to go in places and, you know, and just people look like they've been weaned on dill pickles and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, they it's, sing like a, a man with a frog in his throat. And uh, y'all love to sing. I like to watch y'all sing. Uh, you kind of got to get the clapping down though, Travis. Where's Travis? Ain't it funny how Baptists try to clap? You know, when we get to church, the homeless folks will teach us how to do that. Uh, but, uh, but I love to see you, and you're friendly. You, you know, I, I love that. But look what Peter says here. He says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. That word hospitality literally in the Greek makes, means make friends of strangers. Make friends of strangers. We do that as a church body. We do it in evangelism. Make friends of strangers. Look for someone. When's the last time you looked for someone in this church that needed you instead of someone you needed? When's the last time you looked for someone who needed you instead of someone you needed? Try it. Look for them. Help them. It will help you. It will build up your spiritual self-esteem. You'll, you'll be able to see why you're important. So many people are down on themselves because they're only focused on themselves. Make friends of stranger. He says without grumbling. That's, that's the hard part for Baptists. Without grumbling. Uh, that means when you try to make friends of people and look for somebody that needs you and you can help and make a friend of them, you have to forget this spirit of, you know, preacher, you're expecting too much from me. I says, and I've tried and they don't appreciate you. Can I tell you, many people that are hurting won't appreciate you in the beginning. As a matter of fact, they may take advantage of you. If you don't like, you ought to be a preacher. How many times I've tried to help people in ministry uh, do for people benevolence work? It, I tell you, it eats your heart out when you have the church secretary write a $100 check for somebody that's giving you the most pitiful story in all the world. Uh, just crying about what's happening to the, what's happened to them and their lives falling apart. And if they don't have this to to pay to to help them pay their light bill, and it says, "Oh Lord, this this must be the time." So write the check, and then you go and you look out the window, and they drive away in their Corvette. 
I've seen it happen. Take advantage of you. Not appreciate you. But does that mean we're not supposed to strive to be a friend, to really make friends of strangers? People not like us. Hillcrest, listen. It's easy. It's easy to love people like you. It's easy to be friends with people like you. Try, try by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to love the unlovely, to make a, be a friend to somebody that's not like you. You know what? It was the Pharisees. It was the Pharisees that were chummy chum and lovey lovey with those that were like them. You want to be a Pharisee? We better be a friendly church without grumbling. Well, I got a last point. All God's people said amen. Um, we better be a serving church. Verse 10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so ministers the same one to, to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it with the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Ministry, service. Three principles Peter gives in this passage that should motivate you and me to serve instead of always being served in the church, he says, every Christian has a gift from God to give to the church. Did you know the only reason God gives you gifts is that you could give them away? He gave you a gift to give to the church. And every gift is a service gift. Um, in other words, our gifts are to, not to be enjoyed, but to be employed. Um, Heard about a guy that uh, uh, was a scene of a horrible accident. Um, and he had just finished uh, a, a safety course, a first aid course. Uh, learned it all. You know, how to beat on people's chest, to have, you know, wrap bandages, to take care of people. Uh, and he was telling the story to his family. He says, I was so glad I had learned all these things about first aid and, uh, and about helping people and everything, what the class had meant to me this week. Because when I arrived at that scene and I saw all of that gore and I saw the, the people lying in the street and the blood and the damaged bodies, I remembered from the course, if I sat down and put my head between my legs, I wouldn't faint. God doesn't give us gifts to be a blessing to us. He gives us gifts to be a blessing to others. To others. Peter actually says God channels His grace to the church through Christians. You know, we're not only stewards of our money, of our time, and our opportunities, but we're, watch this, it says we are stewards of God's grace. 
The grace that God wants to give these, these children over here, these young people. The grace that God wants to give to a couple that's on the verge of everything falling apart and them giving up on loving one another in marriage. The grace that God wants to give to somebody is you sit at their bedside and they're hurting so badly and they've been sick so long and they need somebody to just give them assurance that God is still in control and will take over, can heal them or take them home. The grace that they need, the Bible says that God channels all of that grace through his people. We're stewards of his grace. How will they receive his grace? If you don't go and be that steward, be that channel. You see that? Why in the world will we not serve like the Lord wants? You know, every Christian has a gift. I don't know what your gift is. I know, or gifts, or gift mix is how they said. But God's, when he saved you, did something new to equip you to make this church stronger. He really did. Some of those are speaking gifts. He, he talks about it right now. Can I tell you, if you know that you have a speaking gift, you know what one of the things that gives, I know your, your pastor, your pastor emeritus, I know Glenn Denton has boldness. That's one thing I know about Glenn. I mean, he has boldness at the table at the restaurant, much less in the pulpit. Uh, Glenn's, you know, I have a measure of boldness. But can I tell you why I'm confident and bold? Because it's not because I believe I know everything and I'm always right, but I have a sense in my spirit that God called me to preach, that the Holy Spirit's working inside of me, and he told me that I could speak as though I were speaking the oracles of God. You know, God wants me to preach, so when you hear, you think God's talking to you. And that may be in a Sunday school class. That may be talking to children. That may be singing little songs to the babies in the nursery. If yours is verbal, is, if yours is teaching, is speaking, you have this confidence. Hey, you know, God wouldn't put me in this place. Other people wouldn't recognize my gift if what I have to say wasn't from God. You hear me? And not only say that, they're serving gifts. That word serving, there's the word for deacon, table waiter. Things, that's what it means. Uh, uh, you deacons, I just knocked you down a notch, didn't I? Uh, I I'm going to pause and say something. My dearest friends through the years, you ready? Not other preachers, deacons. This pastor will tell you, my dearest friends through the years, being godly deacons. Um, love them to death. But it's not talking about just the deacons. It's talking about people who serve, sometimes unseen. Sometimes over and over again, unthanked. Big things, small things with their hands, but always with their hearts. Just serving. They may not be the ones that stand up here, but I'm telling you folks, the gift that God has given you is just as important as the gift that he's given me to preach and stand up here before you. God has given you something to give hope to this church, a future to this church, and get this church ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And all for his glory, all for his honor. Here we go, let's close. Some people don't believe there's a lot of hope for the church. When you look around, does it bother you that so many churches just don't look the same anymore? You visit any of them? Go in and hear their minuets and sermonettes and 
Um, everybody afraid that the preacher's afraid he's going to offend somebody. He gives you the gospel light. Uh, no more invitations. You know, I'm thankful that you folks give an invitation. Keep giving an invitation. People ought to respond to the preaching of the Word of God. I, that's, that's a side of it. That doesn't make necessarily make you a glorious, holy church, but, but thank you for doing that. Um, church, is, church is different in so many places. It just is. And a lot of people think it's a passing fad. It's gone its way. I'll sit home and watch things online. I'll read a book. Look at YouTube. I don't know what's important about church anymore. But can I tell you something? There is hope for the church. I do believe we're in the last days and Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he's not coming for those watching the YouTube. He's not coming for those who have responded to gospel light. That's not a book printing company. He's not coming for Samaritan's Purse, although, although that's great. That, that Samaritan's Purse, that's a great ministry. He's not coming for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, even though that's great. That's great. You know why Jesus is coming and who he's coming for? The church. <laughs> the church. Let people say what they want to say. Be what they want to be. You be the church of the living God. The church of Jesus Christ. Building up hope, looking for the second coming of Christ, loving one another, being friendly to one another, praying for one another, being all that God called you to be. And I guarantee you, there will be great hope for your church and for you. Would you dare to be a part of keeping the hope alive in this church as we move on down through the coming generations?